Hi, this is Into the Greenwood. I'm Kathy. And I'm Rosie, and today we're looking at the ballad of Thomas the Rhymer. Uh, we mainly talk about uh, sort of the some of the historical context and the kind of way that this part of folklore is interacting with Christianity. The ballad itself is in Scots, but we give a summary at the beginning of the discussion, along with some translations of the words. So if it's a bit challenging to get through, we've got your back. Yeah. Uh, so we hope you enjoy. True Thomas lay on Huntley Bank, a fairly he spied wee as he, and there he saw a lady bright come riding down by the elden tree. Her shirt was o' the grass-green silk, her mantle o' the velvet fine, and ilka tet o' her horse's mane hung fifty siller bells and nine. True Thomas, he pulled off his cap, and louted low down to his knee. All hail, thou mighty Queen of Heaven, for thy peer on earth I never did see. Oh no, oh no, Thomas, she said, that name does not belong to me. I am but the Queen of Fair Elfland, that am hither come to visit thee. Harp and carp, Thomas, she said, harp and carp along with me, and if ye dare to kiss my lips, sure of your body I will be. Betide me weal, betide me woe, that weird shall never daunt in me. Sign he has kissed her rosy lips, all underneath the elden tree. Now you mun go with me, she said, true Thomas, you mun go with me, and you mun serve me seven years, through weal or woe, as may chance to be. She mounted on her milk-white steed, she's tamed true Thomas up the hind, and I when near her bridle rung, the steed flew swifter than the wind. Oh, they rade on and farther on, the steed gaed swifter than the wind, until they reached a desert wide, and living land was left behind. Light down, light down now, true Thomas, and lean your head upon my knee. Abide and rest a little space, and I will show you fairly three. O oh, see you not yon narrow road, so thick beset with thorns and briars. That is the path of righteousness, though after it but few inquires. And see not ye that braid, braid road that lies across that lily leaven. That is the path of wickedness, though some call it the road to heaven. And see not ye that bonny road that winds about the ferny brae. That is the road to fair elf land, where thou and I this night mung gay. But Thomas, ye mun hold your tongue, whatever ye may hear or see. For if you speak word in elfin land, you'll ne'er get back to your ain country. Oh, they rade on and farther on, and they waded through rivers aboon the knee, and they saw neither sun nor moon but they heard the roaring of the sea. It was murk, murk night, and there was nae stern light, and they waded through red blood to the knee, for a' the blood that's shed on earth runs through the springs of that country. Sign they came on to a garden green, and she put an apple frae a tree. Take this for thy wages, true Thomas, and it will gie the tongue that can never lee. My tongue is my name, true Thomas said, a goodly gift you would gie to me, 
I neither doch to buy nor sell, at fair or tryst where I may be. I doch neither speak to prince or peer, nor ask of grace from fair lady. Now hold thy peace, the lady said, for as I say, so it must be. He has gotten a coat of the even cloth, and a pair of shoes of velvet green, until seven years were gain and past, true Thomas on earth was never seen. On a scale, from Janet's green kirtle to a millstone that's dropped on the head of the evil stepmother. Okay. Where are you putting this story? I'm going to say towards the millstone end, uh, maybe. And I'm, I'm going to go with... um going to go with, like, trout of knowledge. <laughs> that's where I'm putting it. <laughs> Uh, mainly because of the word carp. <laughs> and it made me think of fish. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly valid. So, we, yeah, we can just go straight into, you know, for people who don't really know Scots, we can go straight into just a kind of a plain English translation. And there's also some, as well as Scots, there's also just archaic words in there anyway. So even if you do know Scots, it's not that easy anyway. Let's go. <laughs> so, True Thomas lay on Huntley Bank, a fairly he spied with his E. So a fairly is Scots for an unusual sight, like a wonder or a marvel. Um, so he sees a wonder with his eye. And then, so then he sees the fairy queen um, come riding down by the tree. And she's wearing a green shirt and a green, a fine velvet green cloak. Uh, at Ilkatet of her horse's mane hang fifty siller bells and nine. So Ilka means each or every, and Tet is like a tuft or a lock or a bundle or a bunch of some kind of fibrous material, like hair wool or grass. So it's like a lock of a lock of the horse's hair, basically. So then Thomas, he takes off his hat and he louted low down to his knee. Louted just means, it just means bowed. Um, so he bows and he greets her. He says, all hail the mighty queen of heaven. Um, I've never seen anyone on earth who looks like you. Um, and then she's very quickly like, no, 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 that's not who I am. I'm the queen of fairyland. And I've come here to visit you. So then she says, harp and carp, Thomas. Harp and carp along with me. So carp means to sing, to speak, to recite. Very commonly used alongside harp. And it's kind of just describing whatever verbal thing the musician is doing at the same time as using his harp. So she's just kind of saying, play your harp and sing with me. Um, and then she says, if you dare to kiss my lips, sure of your body I will be. Um, which I think is fairly plain. And then he says, I'm pretty sure it's him that's saying this, betide me wheel, betide me wool, that weird shall ne'er daunt in me. So here, betide means to fare. So he's kind of saying, 
whether I fare well or whether I fare woefully. Um, weird means fate and daunten means frighten. So he's saying whether I'm doing good or I'm doing bad, that fate will never frighten me. So then we've got um, sign, sign he has kissed her rosy lips. And sign can mean a bunch of different things and it kind of just depends on context. So it can mean thereupon, directly after, thereafter, since the time of, hence, then. So here it's kind of like, and now he's kissed her lips, or right after that he'd kissed her lips, and now we're in the now we are in the moment of time, right after he has just kissed her lips. Um Okay, so then she says, Now you must go with me. True Thomas, you must go with me and you must serve me for seven years through wellness and woefulness. So like for better or worse, whatever it happens to be. Uh so then she climbs onto her white horse and she's taken Thomas up behind her. And every time, so that's like I when near her bridle rung, so and always whenever her bridle rung, like the bells on her bridle rung, uh the horse went faster and faster. Uh, and so they rode on further and further and the horse went faster and faster um, until they reached a wide desert and left living land, living land behind them. So then the queen tells Thomas to get down from the horse and put his head on her knee and abide and rest a little space and to stay here and rest for a little while. And I will show you Furley's three, so I'll show you three wonders. Uh, so then she describes the three paths. Um, she says, so do you see over there a narrow road so thick beset with thorns and briars? That's the path of righteousness, though few people go that way. Um, and then she says, and see you not that braid, braid road? See you not that wide, wide road um, that lies across the that lily leaven? So lily means just like beautiful, lovely. And here, this is quite interesting, I found this on, um, like I, I've double checked all of these on like the online Scots dictionary. Um, so apparently this is the word leaven, it's a one-time variant. So it's a variant of a word and this is the only time we ever see that variant of that word. So it's apparently a variant of Lee and it refers to untilled ground that's kind of covered in like natural grasses and stuff. So it's just kind of like not farmed land and it's just kind of wild grass, grassy pasture kind of thing. Um, and then she's like, that's the path of wickedness, though some call it the road to heaven. And then she says, and do you see that pretty road um, that winds around the fern covered hill, the ferny brae? Um, that's the road to fair, to fair elf land and that's where you and I must go this night. And then she says, but Tom Thomas, you have to hold your tongue, uh, whatever you might hear or see, for if you speak a word in elf land, you'll never get back to your own country. So they ride on and they ride on and they wade through rivers that come up to their knees and they see neither sun or moon 
and they can hear the roaring of the sea. And then it was murk, murk night, and there was nay stern light, so it's just dark, you know, whatever. <laughs> and they're wading through red blood up to their knees. And that blood is described as being all of the blood that's shed on earth. Um, and it runs through the springs of that country. So then it's a sign they came on to a garden green. And here, sign is more meaning like soon they came there or then they, then they came there. Um, hence, whatever. And she pulled an apple from the tree and she says, take this for, for your wages, Thomas and it will give you a tongue that can never lie. Uh, so then he says, a, good, a goodly gift you would give to me. And he says, I, ne he says, I neither doch to buy nor sell. Um, so this one is like, I wasn't sure what this meant, so I looked it up, and docht can mean power, strength, ability. Or it can mean to affect heirs of an illustrious person. Or it can mean a deed or exploit. Or it can mean a stroke or a blow. So I would kind of guess that here he's kind of saying that he wouldn't try. He wouldn't try to buy it or sell it. He wouldn't have the ability to buy or sell or something like that. I'm not sure. Because <laughs> I'm not sure. Because I've never... I've never seen that word before and there was a lot of different meanings and none of them exactly fit in there. Um, so then he says, at fair or tryst where I may be. So here, a tryst, I think, means a market. Because tryst can mean like loads of different types of meetings. It can mean bargain, bargains and agreement. But it can also specifically mean a market. And particularly for the sale of livestock, apparently. Um, so it's like a fair, but in strict terms, differing from a fair in not being established by charter and in having no statutory customs. And then apparently the most famous were those at Creef and at Falkirk. So, yeah, it's a specific thing. Um, yeah, and then... He says, uh, I doth neither speak to prince or peer nor ask of grace from Lady Peer. So again, like that's that docht word again. So he, I think he's kind of saying, I can't, I don't have the ability or to speak to either of these people or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I was vaguely interpreting that verse as him saying that he doesn't really want or need a tongue that can't lie. Like yeah. it feels like he's very much trying to get out of it. Like, oh that's 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 yeah. too much for me. That's too much of a gift. I would never even try to buy or, or sell that. I couldn't ever be worthy of that. I don't speak to people important enough to need yeah. that ability, like you're saying. That's kind of the yeah. gist of it, it, I guess, that I'm working It on. does like it does kind of feel like docht is like almost a filler word here because yeah but because you can kind of read it without it um yeah 
but yeah, I, I guess it means to do with like having the ability. Um, mm. Yeah, so then the queen says, now hold thy peace, be quiet. Um, for what I say goes. <laughs> <laughs> so then um, he's gotten a coat of the even cloth. Um, and here even, I think, I don't know, it could mean a bunch of things, but it can be used to mean proper or like fitted. So it's like he's been given a, a coat that is made of the appropriate cloth. Um, mm -hmm. And then a pair of shoes of velvet green and till seven years were gone and passed, true Thomas on earth was never seen. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that, our resident Scots expert. <laughs> so um, this ballad is about Thomas the Rhymer. Um, who is thought to have been possibly an actual person. Um, he's associated with a gift of prophecy and, and poetry. Uh, from about 1220 is the suggestion for the time period he was born and died just before the 1300s. Um... The thought is that he might have been the author of a version of the Tristan legend. Um, so Tristan and Isolde or Isolt, uh, if she's got her French name. Um, and because of this, there's some serious debate about whether the ballads are maybe based off something that he actually wrote. Um, so this Thomas Lermont, who might have been a laird from Earlston, over in the borders. And there was an original romance with this tale of him meeting the Fairy Queen, apparently from around the 1400s. So there's a suggestion that this might have been something that he wrote, but then got modified over time and has eventually given rise to this ballad and... Things like that, but it's quite seriously up for debate whether the prose romance story comes first or whether it's one of these folkloric ballads that come first. Yeah, I did. I did see a lot of a lot of debate, and I was like, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> so I I ended up. Uh, so I made a note of that. Um, just that there's like a little epilogue kind of that. Walter mm -hmm. Scott added on um, yes. in later retellings and mm -hmm. it kind of documents the various prophecies that are attributed to Thomas and tells us that he was eventually summoned back to fairyland by the appearance of a sign in, that was like a white heart and a white hind and yes. Scott claimed to have heard this from local legend so maybe that's a piece of folklore, maybe it's not <laughs> um, but yeah there's like a lot of prophecies <laughs> attributed to Thomas which I didn't want to get into um, <laughs> but basically like there's it seems there's like a few that are like attributed to him by historians like past historians um, not modern ones 
but like there's none quoted directly from him and then there's like a lot of things that are more like folk like folklore about prophecies yes that are supposedly attributed to him um so yeah yeah and that um epilogue is it's kind of a difficult one to know what to do with because i think as we've actually spoken about before um Walter Scott collected a lot of Scottish myths and pieces of folklore and legends and published them. But being, as he was, a novelist and operating in quite a different folkloric culture than the one that we have, he was quite happy to change things and make them into a better story. Um, And you certainly can argue that where the ballad ends is incomplete, if you want to, we just don't see Thomas for another seven years um, on Earth, and we have no idea what happens after that. Mm. But I think also that feels a lot more like the genuine folklore that we have. In yeah, a way. they tend to they often end in a weird point where you sometimes feel yeah. like some of the story is missing, and I think that's because of how flexible and variable they're supposed to be. So I'm not sure how much I believe Sir Walter Scott, even though I do really like him. So that's not as much of a dig as it sounds like it (laughs) is. Um, But yeah, I have my doubts about the ending that he makes up. It feels too romantic. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's, um, it's kind of, I feel like the missing piece of information that would make this ballad not seem to end so abruptly. I think it would just be if you lived in a time where the idea of this Thomas the Rhymer figure was just super well known, so you hear the ballad and you're like, oh, that's that's why Thomas could predict the future, that's why. Mm Like, that would make sense to me. If everyone kind of knows who he is, he's a popular figure, then you don't really need to go on after the end of the ballad. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a suggestion that he used to be kind of linked with Merlin and things like that, Mm. Um, especially in Scotland. Uh, He was apparently a well-known folkloric figure. So like you say, it would make sense that this was the origin story, if you will. And everyone else knew that they could find the rest of the story in other places. Um, Yeah. That ending definitely feels like a tacked-on explanation for why we don't know anything else about Thomas the Rhymer. Yeah. I think it's just not... I think the version of the story without that ending is just assuming that we live in a cultural context where we don't need more information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, can't not note that, so like the version that I read is one of the child ballads. Um, mm-hmm. And we've done two before. We've done Tamlin and we've done the Twa Sisters. Yep. And it's like, it's pretty hard not to compare this one to Tamlin. Like it's, it's got yep. a lot of similarities. It's from a similar area. They're mm-hmm. both called. They're both called Tom. 
because Tom is just the scholar's version of Tom. So they're both called Tom. They both get kidnapped, essentially, by a fairy yep. queen. Um, I found a quote with um, Colin Manlove, um, who is a sort of authority on Scottish fantasy writing, I think. Um, mm-hmm. He says that the stories of Thomas the Rhymer and Tamlin are two halves of a whole, where the first shows the beginning of the enchantment and the other the ending. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that That's does... That's an interesting idea. Yeah, like, that, that they do match up fairly well. Um, I also, you know, the queen in um, Thomas the Rhymer, I think, is a lot nicer than the queen in Tamlin. Mm-hmm. But yes. you can see a world where these two stories used to be even more similar than they already are. Yes, it's. Um, I'd kind of also done bits of reading and thinking about their similarities as well. Um, because the relationship between the Fairy Queen and Thomas is so much sweeter in this one. But it's yeah. still ambiguous and you actually have some ballads that I feel like the undercurrent of the kisses kind of weirder and worse yeah um and you know at the end of the day he's still in forced servitude for seven years yeah. uh and unable to speak for all of that time the it entire doesn't, time. <laughs> it, you know even if the servitude is just playing the harp we don't have to um be darker and more pessimistic than that it's still not really a great trade for a kiss from a fairy queen. You know, like, I guess yeah. if you get prophecy and things as well, that I can see how that might be more balanced. Yeah. But, but I feel like everyone hated mm. him when he went back because they would they would just ask him his honest opinion and he would give it to them. And <laughs> that's just not always what people need. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's the thing as well. I guess it depends how much wiggle room he has. Does he just have to say the truth that he thinks? Does he have a choice about how gently he expresses it? Um, mm. Interesting questions. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess judging by some of the um, the recorded prophecies attributed to him, he has to speak in rhyme. So, <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the case, which <laughs> sounds more like a curse than a blessing, um, <laughs> even if it would be a really cool one. Um, but still, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I don't, it's, it's interesting to try and think of the comparisons between the two, and especially thinking that this one comes possibly from a 1400s. Um, kind of chivalric romance piece of mm-hmm. prose uh, it makes sense that the fairy queen would have been made more gentle in this one because chivalric romances were more interested in that um, yeah. they weren't going to have all of that Kind of layered yeah. complexity, I think, which is obvious from some of the stories that you get with Arthur and 
Knights of the Round Table and that. Yeah. I think the I stories see. that we tell each other in folklore are always more open to having that ambiguity and that hint of darkness in the background. Yeah. This one is very... The fairies are definitely softened a lot and mm. you can definitely see... I mean, you see it in Tamlin, but in this one you can definitely see the kind of the coexistence of fairy lore and Christianity. Yeah. But in Tamlin it's a lot more like um, fairies exist, but they're like evil, they're demons, they pay tithes to hell. And in this one, she, you know, when he sort of calls her the Queen of Heaven, um, she's like, oh, I'm, I am but the Queen of Elfland. I am just a lowly fairy. I could not possibly be Mary. Like, she, in this one, instead of paying tithes to hell, she kind of, in that line, I think, is suggesting that she has like respect or reverence for things that are holy as opposed to being like repelled by them she's yes. like in awe of mm -hmm. them oh yeah absolutely she with with that line she's giving due deference to the virgin mary and to christianity by saying it almost you could argue is like a reproof of, of his overly complimentary um, yeah. greeting. Um, and there's, yeah. you know, with the three roads, you are specifically separating the fairyland from hell by having three roads. Yes, um, exactly. And it's definitely not something that I could see the Queen in Tamlin doing. No, like, the Queen in Tamlin is mean. You can, yeah. She feels mean. incredibly mean. She curse. She tries to curse Tamlin when he wants to leave. Um, I yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, and and in Tamlin, because of her curse at the end, they they just leave us with this uncertainty, and I guess they mm -hmm. they leave us with a kind of fear of fairyland and a lack of certainty about whether kind of whether like Janet and Tamlin can ever truly escape like yeah. they do but it's still there it's still dangerous yes yeah she's still lurking in the background and glaring after them um yeah you don't get the sense that this queen would do that at all and it's interesting that you mentioned the tithe to hell because apparently mm. that's present in some of the variants of this story mm. as well. But it's given as the reason for why the queen sends him back to the human world. So that mm. he can't be the tithe that has to go to hell that yeah. seventh year. Um, which is a really interesting layer to place on your supernatural romance where the fairy queen kind of kidnapped him anyway. But... Mm -hmm thinks a bit much to send you to hell so I guess you can leave now you know yeah. I, I guess that's really sweet uh well not really sweet <laughs> really sweet would be not kidnapping him in the first place yeah but it it's again working on that 
a separation of you have demons and devils you have fairies kind of somewhere in the middle as something else and then you have kind of your angels and proper yeah. christian reverential spirituality yeah so it it reminds me a lot of um the kind of some irish folklore that i've read where so there's um there's one explanation or kind of myth of the origin of fairies which uh comes about in order to make their existence compatible with christianity so like mm. um and in this one fairies are sort of fallen angels that simply didn't fall all the way down to hell um so it's kind of like the story is that god opens the gates of heaven and all the angels start falling out and some of them fall all the way down to hell and they're all just like falling and then one of the angels is like quick close the gates you're letting everyone out um so the <laughs> gates close and at the moment the gates close the fallen angels that have that are on the earth become fairies the ones that are in the air become like elemental spirits of the air the ones that are in the ocean become like fairies and supernatural creatures of the ocean so there's this kind of line of folklore that considers fairies to be like fallen angels and there's also um a kind of there's a few stories where like the situation reoccurs where a priest or sometimes just like a person will be waylaid by a fairy who asks them if on judgment day the fairies will get to go to heaven and the sort of truth is that they will not because they're kind of considered lesser demons or seen as not having souls so they're not going to get to go to heaven mm -hmm. when the end times come but it, if you tell them the truth that'll upset them and they'll probably do something nasty to you um, mm -hmm. so then it's like but you're kind of afraid to lie to them um, so then you kind of, I feel like then when you get these stories like this one where they're nicer and less evil, they come across as quite tragic because there's this thing happening where they're beautiful and they're immortal and they're evergreen, but ultimately they're doomed. Whereas humans are short-lived and imperfect, but have immortal souls and they mm -hmm. kind of play off that a bit that kind of opposition and I, I feel like it is there slightly in this yes because they're nice <laughs> so we maybe care about them a bit more yes it almost feels like Tolkien's difference between humans and elves um yeah. but yeah I guess slightly different flavor but it definitely does have that feeling to it that the fairies at least in this story are not as evil as they generally are and that there's that sense yeah. of tragedy to them um yeah but it's um, i mean there's also then other variants where they might just be the souls of the dead which i think yes this one could also yeah. be trying to put across with the crossing the rivers of blood and it being 
the mm. third road um, kind of in the middle, which is something... Well, which is, I guess if this is from the 1400s, that's before the split with um, the Church of England uh, from mm. Roman Catholicism. So you'd still have the idea of purgatory. So I wonder if this third road is a slightly corrupted idea of that, maybe? Yeah, I did. I did wonder that as well. And I was thinking... So, like... Obviously, there's like a comment on righteousness being a hard path and wickedness being yes, an easy path. Yeah. Um, and but then, and there's also like the existence of the fairy one being kind of between. Um, mm -hmm. But what are your thoughts on the queen saying that some call the path to wickedness the road to heaven? I suppose that I would say that has a very easy explanation, especially within the Christian framework of the idea that evil is easy and yeah, self-gratifying and addictive in that kind of yeah very shallow way. So it seems superficially easy, which I guess is the idea with it being a, a wide, gentle path with no kind of slopes and just being flat and yeah. theoretically enjoyable but leading to a terrible place yeah because I had essentially I was like you know I feel like we're maybe just using heaven as like like I feel like we, she could be saying that people enjoy being wicked and heaven mm. here is like an adjective so She's like, some people would call that the road to heaven. And then yeah. I had a few wild, wilder takes that could be like, which, so I don't think this one works, but I was like, we could be suggesting that she has, as a fairy, she has kind of inverted morals and we can't really trust her designation of what is righteous and what is wicked if she's saying like the wicked path is the road to heaven. Um, mm -hmm. Also, it could be sort of a kind of a comment on maybe corruption of people who kind of claim that what they're doing is the road to heaven, but it's wicked. Um, but yeah, my, my, my straightforward take on it was like that people like being wicked <laughs> and it's easy to be wicked. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, I suppose you could also read the line before when she's saying, well, no, I'm not the Virgin Mary. There's, this is just written out. So that could be said in so many different ways. Um, yeah. So, you know, there easily could be space for sarcasm and satire and an inversion um, mm. going on in her tone but yeah we'd we'd really have yeah. no way of knowing I I was going to say that I don't feel like that's the case but she does give him an apple 
which then parallels her very much more with the snake in the story of Eden in Genesis. So that muddies the waters a lot about how respectful and, and good she actually is in our framework. Yeah. 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 What I thought was... I mean, I think it's hard to exactly trust the depiction of these three paths when generally we kind of know that fairies are quite tricksy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I thought it was interesting that the third path is lush and beautiful compared with the other two and mm-hmm. the way she's kind of saying like righteousness is a difficult path, wickedness is an easy path that many people have walked. And the path to Elfame is a pleasant path that not many people have walked. And it's almost like, you know, maybe in her view, if not necessarily in the view of the ballad itself, Maybe in her view, she's kind of suggesting that rejecting the binary of good and evil and just taking a different path entirely is actually what is beautiful. And it's kind of like, well, she would say that because <laughs> she's a fairy. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> this is the way to her kingdom. <laughs> Makes sense. She would be very pro. Um, yeah. Old. Yeah. yeah, and it would certainly, I think one of the fun uh, things that folklore is a lot happier to play with, and particularly ballads, is the idea of who's actually telling the story and how trustworthy it is. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the whole d- idea of, of fairies being truthful and also you shouldn't lie to a fairy because that will backfire on you and he gets the mm. gift slash curse depending on your interpretation of the fact that he can't lie mm-hmm. there's a lot at the bottom asking you what you can trust in this what is truth what is lie how yeah. can you tell the difference i mean wading through rivers of blood does not sound like a pleasant path um yeah it just doesn't so i feel like that lends some more credence to the idea of her misrepresenting things for her own gain and she did trick him into servitude so she did she did yeah and it's like with the apple um you know Generally, like, apples symbolize knowledge or forbidden knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, like like we mentioned with Adam and Eve. And uh, I feel like although we're told what the apple is doing is making him never tell a lie, uh, we also know that this is a character who's famous for telling prophecies and has now been, you know, given the gift of knowledge. Mm-hmm. and so there's that um, mm. and then I think when so there's like some interpretations 
that I want to bring in, which I think are like a bit too like they go a bit too beyond what the original thing is telling us, but I'm going to bring them in anyway. Um, okay. So, you know, there's there's folklore about fairy food keeping you in fairyland if you eat it. Mm-hmm. And you, like, could kind of say if you take into account the ending where he returns, you could say that, well, he was kept there. Like, he did have to return. He didn't ever truly get away. And it's kind of, I feel like it's pretty common for Fairyland to kind of be seen as a sort of addiction, something that once Mm -hmm. you've experienced it, you can't stop wanting to experience it again. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely that aspect um, if he returns in the end. And so I think... There could be a reading where if you like are deciding that he does return in the end, there could be a reading where he kind of becomes part of the other world by eating the food. And he yeah. now has kind of tarnished his um kind of tarnished his soul in the way that he's no longer able to go to heaven or hell now. And he has Mm -hmm. to now return to fairyland and stay there instead. Because he doesn't get the afterlife that humans get anymore because he's kind of become a part of of Elfland. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's definite support for that idea. Um, And I would argue that some of that is in the we end with saying that he's got this pair of velvet green shoes very much from the fairies Mm. presumably and also Mm -hmm. she's wearing green fairies are always wearing green Mm. and it's not just any piece of his clothing it's what he stands on he's not standing on normal ground in normal shoes anymore he's Mm -hmm. always fundamentally standing from a fairy perspective from a fairy filter um so it's in a way a shame if there are <laughs> stories and tales of him coming back to earth after this experience because it mm. feels like what the tale is saying is that he can never really leave yeah um which still works if he comes back and has to go back um you know when he dies like you're saying that his his soul has mm. been corrupted and changed and he now belongs to that kingdom yeah and if you want to get like a bit more meta a little um Mm. you could say that if you want to go with him being the original teller of this tale which obviously in real life he may or may not have been but Mm. in the world of the tale he has to have been because it's from his perspective yes um you can say that when going back to the representation of the paths um, interpreting it as choosing neither righteousness or wickedness, choosing the in-between path and that being a beautiful path you can sort of see it as 
he needs to believe that it's that that's the nice path to take because he now can't take either of the others. Yeah. So like, it could also be, you know, you could say it's filtered through how the queen used the path. You could say it's filtered through how a later version of Thomas views the path now that he kind of doesn't have the choice anymore. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I had my own point about, um, again, if theoretically the origin of this ballad is from Thomas itself. Um, not in these ballad versions, but certainly I think in some prose ones. He has a wife before he goes off to the fairy realm. Mm. And that to me was opening up a question of kind of isn't it useful that his reason for why he was away is I was kidnapped by this fairy queen she was gorgeous <laughs> and came to visit me and did that mm -hmm. all on purpose because I was great um but Absolutely. now I'm back um <laughs> sorry apologies for being kidnapped uh, it really yeah. wasn't my choice that I was away locked up with this beautiful woman for a few years. Mm. I didn't choose this. Um, you can't blame me. Here's a ballad about how terrible the experience was. You know? Mm -hmm. um, it's a really fun relationship for what the ballad tells us versus what Thomas's real experience and perspective might have been and how that might change in the way that he expresses it to people in a ballad afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, if it's supposed to be him telling it, he definitely wants himself to look good and mm -hmm. bring, bring some credence to his prophecies as well. <laughs> yes. And I... I wonder if it vaguely ties into your idea of the third road. Mm -hmm. You know, not being great, but not being awful. Just being distinct and magical. If if we're like reading it as if um, he has kind of lost his chance at an afterlife, it's sort of like, well, you don't get to move on now. You don't get to go to heaven. Um mm. But you can comfort yourself with the fact that Fairyland is pretty. And you're doomed, but it'll be pretty for a while. Uh, it's nice and ferny. Yep. Nice and ferny. Um, um, but you know, he, he couldn't just leave out the river of blood, but he, so he just kind of described it as, we describe it as a bonny path, and then we just glaze past the river of blood, so... Yeah, we wade through rivers of blood up to our knees. But anyway, moving on. We come <laughs> to a garden. Um, yes. Yeah, it's... I don't know, it's interesting. And like you were saying of the idea of lending credence to his prophecies, uh, that feels like something you say because you're compelled to buy an apple of truth um, mm -hmm. rather than because you love just throwing in a river of blood into your story. Um, <laughs> that would be a strange narrative device uh, because it doesn't really serve much of a purpose at all other than to separate fairy kingdom from our mortal world it's, it does there's not a lot of 
there's not a lot of description about what just like what the actual fairy world is when he's there mm-hmm. it's, just all, it's all about the journey <laughs> all then, about the journey and then like yeah so we just kind of get uh, and then so he's clothed in like their clothes and that's it doesn't come back for seven years doesn't come back um it is interesting that i think in other stories of someone going to fairy world often the ending that you get is that even though they only felt like they were there for a night or three nights or whatever it's actually been a hundred years and everyone that they know is Mm. dead and gone and they're (laughs) horrifically lost and lonely and it's a tragedy and then the story ends there um so i have been wondering if even the seven years is implying that but without fully committing to it um because there's a lot of interesting the way languages interact with numbers is very very interesting and for a long time we didn't really bother saying millions because that wasn't a number that you needed mm. uh kind of but above a certain point would be interpreted to mean basically infinity mm. um and i wonder if 7 so 7 biblically is the number of perfection i believe yes i think mm. so I wonder if it's this idea of completeness as in completeness for his whole life kind of thing. It's not that he's not seen for seven years, it's that he's never seen again. But we're just saying seven years because we are used to interpreting seven to mean a much larger number. Mm. Even though we don't do that anymore now. But obviously these are old ballads, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't doesn't tell us who, from whose perspective, the seven years mm. is mm-hmm. like seven earthly years or seven fairy years. I don't know, but yeah, that would be interesting. Seven years for Thomas in Fairy World. Um, yeah, I wonder what that would be in Earth years. Mm. I have to say, I think the more that we talk about it the more I wish he wasn't a historical figure and the ballad <laughs> ended with him not coming back from fairy world. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's not my choice. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, no offense, but I just think Tamlin's a better story. <laughs> it Honestly, has Janet in it. Yes. It has Janet. Yeah, I know. That's why I wanted to include her in the scale. Janet is great. Yeah. Fascinating yeah. character. Yeah, I just... I a little bit feel like this story is just a worse version of Tamlin. And, <laughs> and like, you know, there's like, it's all the debate about how they're related. I guess another, another theory you could throw out there. Um, I'm sure that people who have studied this a lot more thoroughly than I have, have more educated theories. But another theory you could throw out there is, did the story of Tamlin already exist and then... Mm-hmm. This one was inspired by a need to 
you know, either create reasons for Thomas's prophecies or by Thomas himself to create reasons for an absent or an absence or to give credence to his prophecies. And then it was just kind of like, well, what what happens? Oh, look at this story about Tamlin. Seven years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah someone like that. Make it someone like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, look at this cool story about fairies kidnapping men. Um, that would be useful. That's a that's a mm. good trick. Uh, I like that device. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I was actually reading um, an essay by Tolkien where he briefly mentions this ballad, actually, um, mm. where he talks about basically how impossible it is to know whether these stories change so much because they get dispersed or because different people come up with them or kind of what the actual origins of the story are. And, and I mean, he then kind of goes on to say that that's not really the point of stories, so we don't need to spend so long thinking about it. Um, <laughs> but it's definitely interesting to see how so many stories overlap mm. and especially the fact that this one and Tamlin come from a similar area of Scotland yeah. um, down in the borders yeah. I think it's fair grounds to say that they will certainly have influenced each other yeah and um, like no matter which way around that happened or how it happened Given that we have the Ballad of Tamlin and this one in the same collection, um, I think those two forms of those stories, the ballad for this one feels a lot like, it feels a lot more romanticized it feels like a lot more mm -hmm. um it feels like the fairies in this story have kind of started to lose lose their kind of cultural power cultural influence like their meaning but the ones in tamlin still feel quite scary and quite present mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it just feels like this story is further along the line of the sort of diminishing of the kind of belief in fairies and the kind of making them into something nice. And Tamlin feels a little bit more like raw. Mm -hmm. Yes, especially, I would definitely see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, especially just with like some of the things that um, that Janet says in Tamlin are like very they're they're very um bold <laughs> and
<laughs> wow. Yeah. Which, oh yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> she is shooting from the hip there. Um, immediately... <laughs> yeah, coming out with that. Uh, it does... Yes, everything feels a lot rawer in Tamla and I totally agree, and it definitely feels like the fairies are still a threat and still present and still dangerous in a way that this just doesn't seem to be suggesting. So, yeah, I think I, I like your suggestion that Tamlin is first and better. Um, so cringe, Thomas. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. Definitely not biased. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I mean, Tamlin is, is very good. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh you had it here from the Scotswoman. Um, fairy queens are liars, and if they have any problems with that, they'll take that up with Rosie Young. Um. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Folklore Scotland podcast. We'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis. The podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that aims to make Scottish folklore accessible using digital platforms, telling the tales of the past with the technology of today. If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, pop us an email at info at folklorescotland.com and you can find all of our social media as well as a list of sources in the show notes below. The charity also now has a Ko-fi page, which you can find in the show notes if you would like to help us continue the work that we do. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>